about a month ago, I received a letter, letter that invited me to a Bible study uh, that was going to be held in the area. And the invitation stated that the study would be, and I quote, the most important study you will ever attend. The letter went on to explain that the topic of the study was uh, how we as Christians need to obey every Old Testament law in order to be counted as one of the true disciples. And it quoted Matthew 5 here as proof. So the question that we're going to be dealing with this morning as we look at this text, are we, as New Testament Christians, required to follow all the commands that were given to Moses in the law? For instance, you shall not wear a garment of cloth made of two different materials. Leviticus 19.19 You shall not round off the hair of your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Leviticus 19.27 If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, he shall not be put to death because she is not free, but he shall bring compensation to the Lord. Leviticus 19.20-22 You can only kill a burglar at night. Exodus 22, 2-3. Do not touch a woman during her menstrual cycle. Leviticus 15, 19-21. Never speak the names of other gods. Exodus 23, 13. Test a woman suspected of adultery by giving her cursed dust. If she is guilty, she will miscarry any child that's in her womb. Numbers 5, 16-22. Do not eat shellfish, rabbit, or pork. Leviticus 11, and do not work on the Sabbath, Exodus 35.2. I could go on and on, but you get the point here. So when Jesus says here in Matthew 5.19, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Are these the kinds of things that he's talking about? Am I making a grave mistake as your pastor not standing up here week after week and going through every detailed law in the Old Testament, encouraging you to follow those? Am I setting a bad example by having a trimmed beard and wearing a wool and polyester blend suit today as I stand in front of you? Should we pin a special red badge on all menstruating women who walk through the door of the church so that we don't accidentally touch them and make ourselves unclean? Are we going to be among the least in the kingdom of heaven because we have lazily overlooked all of these laws? Well, let me start by saying and setting your mind at ease by showing you all the places in the New Testament that indicate that these laws have been abolished for the Christian. Then we're going to go on to look at what Jesus really meant when he was talking about these things. The kosher food laws are very important to Orthodox Jews. In fact, a kitchen pit can be declared unclean by just one grain of leaven in that kitchen. However, we see a major shift regarding these laws in a statement that Jesus made in Mark chapter 7, verses 15 through 19. He said, There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, 
since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. As Gentile Christians, we don't understand how radical this teaching was at the time. In fact, Peter, who was standing right there and heard Jesus say this, had to be shown in a vision what the spiritual significance of this was after Jesus died. We see this in Acts 10, uh, 11 through 15. Peter saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being uh, let down by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice, voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Next to the food laws, the second most important observation of the law was in regard to the Sabbath. And we see that Jesus was continually in trouble for what they perceived as him breaking the Sabbath, although he never broke the Sabbath according to the Torah. He was actually coming against the way that the Jewish leaders had added numerous extra rules to the Sabbath, thus making it a burden instead of a blessing, which was God's original intent. This is why Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Later we see instruction to the Gentile Christians in Colossae. Paul was reminding them that it was not through the observation of the law that they had been saved, but by faith in Christ. And he concludes in this way, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in regard to a question of food and drink, or in regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. Hey, wait a second here, Paul. Aren't you teaching the people to relax the law here? Aren't you in danger of being called least in the kingdom? Well, apparently not. Finally, let's look at the issue of circumcision. According to Leviticus 12.3, every Jewish eight-day-old male had to be circumcised in order to be accepted into God's people. Not only that, according to Exodus 12.48, foreigners that wanted to celebrate the Passover had to be circumcised as well. And so a question about whether Gentile Christians should be required to be circumcised came up in the New Testament church. And the Lord's answer was very clear, as we see in Acts 15, where Peter stands up among the uh, leaders of the church, and he says, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through grace by the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And so after this, the council wrote to these churches and gave them a few recommendations in regard to what they should do not do, but they didn't pile the law on them. Therefore, we see that both Jesus and the disciples made it clear that adherence to the law was not required for the New Testament church. And so what is it that Jesus is referring to here in Matthew chapter 5? I'd like to work backwards here from the bottom of the verse to the top. And so, in verse 20, Jesus summarizes his statement by saying, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. 
Notice that little word there, for, at the beginning of the sentence. When we see that word, it means that there's a reason being given. The reason I told you the previous stuff here is because of this stuff I'm about to say. And we could easily translate that word as because. The reason I told you all this other stuff is because your righteousness needs to exceed or go beyond that of the strictest adherence to the law that you know or you will never get to heaven. Now let me ask you this question. Were the Pharisees in Jesus' time going to be allowed into the kingdom of heaven based on their righteousness? Absolutely not. In fact, Jesus called them children of the devil. Jesus told them in Matthew 23, 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would to go in. So how were the disciples going to accomplish what the Jewish leaders failed to do for centuries? Were they going to try harder to do the law? Do it better? Obviously not, because we see that every single one of the disciples failed in many areas. Even after the Holy Spirit had come upon them at Pentecost, there were still quarrels. There were still schisms. And so we must deduce that Jesus was talking about a different source of righteousness rather than perfect adherence to the law. <coughs> Excuse me. We know that this had to be the case because of Galatians 2.16. It says, Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law. Notice that all-inclusive language there. No one is justified or proclaimed innocent so that they can enter the kingdom of heaven by the works of the law. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Joseph, not Moses, not King David, not the Pharisees, not the disciples, not you. Everyone needs a righteousness that exceeds the law. Excuse me. Everyone needs a righteousness that exceeds the law. Now listen to the second half of Galatians 2.16. It says, <clears throat> Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The righteousness that exceeds the law is only found in Christ. Your faith in Christ exceeds all efforts of those who have come before you and tried to keep the law. Consider this example. We look at the life of John the Baptist, and here's a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, never drank, was set apart in his ministry under a strict Nazarite vow. He shunned riches, he embraced minimalistic lifestyle in order to be closer to God, and he faithfully fulfilled the mission that God had set before him as one who was there to make straight the paths of the Lord. But here's a shocking statement that we see from Jesus in Matthew 11, 11. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. However, in that same verse, he goes on to say, 
yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. The weakest Christian, the most stumbling Christian in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Why is that? Because that person is clothed in Christ. They are covered in the blood of the Lamb. They have direct access to God because of the death and resurrection of Christ. John the Baptist was there as one of the prophets. He was before the death of Christ, before the resurrection. And so he was there on the precursor of the kingdom of heaven as it was coming. And so it's only in Christ that we find this kind of righteousness. In fact, Jesus has so much excess righteousness that it's enough to cover over the sins of the entire world. Those who believe in him are promised that none of their sins will be remembered when they stand before the throne of God. And so the question comes to mind, then why the law? What's the purpose? Why did Jesus say that until heaven and earth pass away, until the end of time... Not a dot or iota, that's a, like a dotted I or a cross T, will pass from the law. And I believe that he says this to indicate that the purpose of the law still remains necessary until he returns. And this purpose is clearly stated in Romans 5.20, where Paul shows us that the law came to increase the trespass. In order, uh, God showed us the law in order to show us how sinful we really were. You wouldn't know that you were a thief until somebody said, don't steal. You wouldn't know that you were a murderer and said, until somebody said, don't kill. And so he gave us the law to help us understand our inability to keep it and to show us our need for something greater, for the Messiah. And so the law continues today to proclaim, obey, submit, fulfill me perfectly, or die. And that's why it's a big mistake to proclaim to unbelievers things that are reserved for believers. For instance, if I walk up to somebody, an unbeliever, and tells them, and I tell them, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, right? Is that a Good thing for me to say in that moment. Well, the reason that it's not good is because in their current state as an unbeliever, God doesn't have a wonderful plan for their life. Their plan is hell right at the moment. Their plan is the wrath of God resting upon them. And so they need to hear the law. They need to hear the strictness of the law and get pounded by it until they get to the point where they cry out for a savior. By the way, this is one of the main reasons that it's a mistake to bail out your children or friends who have found themselves in terrible circumstances because of the things that they have done. They need to feel the full effect of their choice so that hopefully they will cry out to the Lord. And the longer you enable them, the longer the process is going to take. 
Well, wait a second, Pastor Scott. They might end up doing something that will ruin their entire life. Like what? Go to prison? (laughs) Get some girl pregnant? Disqualify themselves from numerous colleges or job opportunities? I'm ashamed to say that it took that and more for me to come to the bottom of myself. And if someone had bailed me out in every tough situation that I had created for myself, I might still be wallowing in the pig slop today instead of getting to the bottom of myself so that I could see that I had a need for a Savior. What does this all mean for you today? The impact on the Christian today is uh, very profound here. First, all the credit for your salvation rests on Jesus. All of it. Nothing you do helped you get to heaven. You weren't a nicer person. You weren't a better candidate. Nothing. And as you stumble along the path, you can find strength in the fact that no matter how good or bad your day was, no matter how good or bad you did those disciplines, resisted the devil, all of those things, none of it gets you any closer to being saved because that's all taken care of already. Now as you go through your life, the law has a different purpose for you. It's not there to reveal how bad you are. It's there as a tutor. It's there to help you and guide you in this life. To make things better for you as a Christian. Because God knows us as human beings. And he knows what's good for you. He knows it's not good for your marriage to commit adultery. He knows it's not good for business to lie and swindle. He knows that slander ruins relationships. And so all those things are there to help us. But because we are in Christ now, that becomes possible for us to do. And it's not this heavy burden any longer. It's not this weight that crushes us and makes us despair and feel like we can't do it. It's there to help us by the Holy Spirit to be able to do these things. In conclusion, was this guy right in his letter? The most important Bible study you'll ever attend. Well, yes and no. He was right in saying that studying the law, because it's God's word, is one of the most important studies that you will ever have. However, he was wrong in his application. And millions of people in many different religions have made the same exact mistake that he made. In order to become a disciple, you have to do all this stuff. And they try to earn their way in heaven. The guy might as well just been a Muslim. Because that's what they do. They have their five pillars. You do this, 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 and this. And Allah will love you better. And then hopefully the scales will tilt in your favor. And you can go on to paradise. Is that our religion? Is that what we want to be under the burden of? And so don't let anyone lead you astray into some kind of law-based theology saying that your salvation depends on what you do. It's such a selfish religion too anyways, because it all puts it back on us again. That's the amazing thing about Christianity. Our eyes turn to Christ. Like in Hebrews 12 too. Look to Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of your faith. Not Scott. Not Jeb. Not Pam. Not Suzanne. Look to Jesus. That's where you can find amazing joy and not despair and depression, guilt, and shame. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the amazing grace that you've poured out upon us and that it's not dependent upon us anymore. Lord, the law did its job. It showed us that we came up short, that we couldn't do it, and we needed a Messiah. Thank you that you came to fulfill the law perfectly in order that we might trust in your work and not our own. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.